Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and today I'm coming to you with our final episode of season four of the podcast. This season has been filled with conversations about the post-COVID church and what the future holds for us as we look forward to leaving the pandemic behind us. And as we've been talking about this topic, we've noticed a common idea that we keep hearing. There's a sense that God is at work doing something new in his church through COVID and a deep desire to participate with him in whatever that is. But how do we know what it is that God is asking us to participate in? To talk about this, I sat down with John Thompson, senior pastor at Sanctus Church, a multi-site church in the greater Toronto area, and author of the books Convergence and Deliverance. You'll get to hear John share about why it's important that we ask God if he has something specific for us to do before we jump into making our plans, and what that actually looks like in practice for us as church leaders who are trying to discern what to do in a post-pandemic world. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with John Thompson. Well, hey, John, welcome to the Propel Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jess. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, well, I know uh, this is a fun interview for me to do because I've known you for a very long time. Very long time. Many, Very long time. Maybe we won't say how long. Yeah, okay, no problem. Makes feel old. Um, no, but you were my pastor for many years and a very mm-hmm. good friend. So, you know, honestly, I've learned so much from you over the years, and I'm really excited for our podcast listeners to hear from you. Yeah, it's good to be um, here. And then, of course, any of our listeners who were at Impact in 2019 would be familiar with you as well, because you were one of our speakers there. Um, actually, I guess our last Impact because of COVID cancellations. COVID. Yes. Um, but for anyone who's not familiar with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is John Thompson, and I've been a pastor for 23 years in a church called Sanctus. We're on the east side of Toronto. We're a multi-site church. We have five locations, four physical, one virtual uh, we'll be reopening the physical ones up uh, starting this Sunday, so I'll be preaching live again, which will be great. Someone years from now might be listening to this podcast and say, what are you talking about? Just remember, we're recording this during COVID times. Uh, yes. And uh, I've been married to my wife, Joanna, since 2000, so 21 years. We've got three kids, Hannah, Emma, Noah, 13, 11, and 9, and my three kids are best friends with Jessica's three kids. And so we were joking the other day, it's almost like we live in a virtual commune because we can literally hear our children talking to each other. Like I was talking to Jess the other day and could hear my son talking to her son 5,000 kilometers away. I couldn't hear him in my house, but I could hear him in your house. Right? I, Crazy. You, know, you come come down in the morning and just be like, okay, who's here right now? I know. What do I, scary. You know, there's, there's no secrets. You there's no yelling. secrets. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I love your family. Um, And, uh, and, you know, Sanctus, you've been there for. Yeah. 23 years. 23 years now. I just, I just finished 23 years, uh, June 1st, and I've been part of the church since I was 15. So I've been through, I'm 40, I'm 45. So you do the math. Uh, but I've been here for a while and then been through four iterations of this church, which are quite drastic and significant. Wow. Well, because I was, um, we love to ask people, what do you love about your church? Yeah, sure. So what, there's got to be something because you've been there for 23 years. So, yeah, well, number one, I'm assigned to the church, and that's just something we'll talk about maybe a little bit later today. But, um, no, one thing I love about our community is uh, years ago in the DNA, we decided that change was not evil. 
uh, we decided that change would be at its heart and risk is actually necessary. And so there's been sort of this DNA, this river that's run through our history where it's not iteration for iteration's sake. It's not going to the latest conference going, oh my goodness, let's do that now. Uh, that was part of our history. It's not anymore. Uh, but it really is change is necessary. Change is good. And uh, that's been one of the things I love. I also love that, you know, we have 55 nations in our church. We're intentionally becoming more multicultural, fighting for that from a Revelation 7-9 worldview. I, I, I love that. And I also love uh, the God-given mission and vision that we have been assigned to. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I was at Sanctus probably for most of my life, so I can affirm it's a fantastic church. Um, and of course, you've, as you said, you're reopening this Sunday, had to deal with a lot of the same COVID struggles and frustrations, even though Ontario is a little different. Yep. Every province has, has had their own unique way of navigating, but online church, shut down, cleaning everything, masks, all, all the things, all the things. All the things. Yeah. It's been a long year and a half. Yes, it has been. <laughs> yeah. yes. But there's good news. Vaccines are here and they're working. And it seems like the finish line is actually in sight. Yes. Um, and so that's been our, actually our podcast season this, this season that we're in is we've been centering our conversations a lot around this shift in focus from pivoting and adapting and surviving essentially in a pandemic to looking forward. And we've right. got, you know, we're looking at a post COVID future and where does the church fit in that? What is different? What's the same? Um, and there's been this general sense among many of us that God is doing something new in his church in this season. Um, and we know we don't want to just go back to what was and go back to normal, but actually step into that and to follow him in where he's leading, which of course begs the question, what is that? Mm -hmm. And how do we actually know what God is doing and where, what he's uniquely calling us to in this season? And so that's why I wanted to have you on and what I wanted to talk about today, because I know you and I know that uh, taking time to seek God's direction is something you take very seriously. Yep. I've seen you live it out very authentically. Um, and you also speak about it. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard you speak about what you, you know, what you call this idea of prompting and planning. So yeah. I wonder if we could start by maybe you can talk a bit about what do you mean when you say prompting and planning and why does it matter? Why is it important? Yeah. So this conversation has to happen. If COVID never happened, this still should be happening. This conversation okay. that you and I are having today is a fundamental part of Christian leadership, which actually has been lost or miscategorized by multiple people. I was just on the uh, on a call just before I got on this one. We're mentoring a group of people who might be elders in the future. And um, we were talking about the COVID reality. The, one of the possible elders works in IT. And uh and he said, you know, we're never going back. And I said, oh, I know. I said, what, what we all need to realize is the last year and a half was like fire was invented or the wheel was invented or the printing press was invented. And if you read history, every time there was a major cataclysmic event, uh, everyone wanted to go back to what they knew because it was safe, but it was never given back to them. So that's where we are as a church. But I want to preface this conversation by saying I talked about prompting and planning way before the cataclysmic COVID moment, because actually this matters for every season. So here's how I started breaking it down and we've lived it out in our own church for a long time. Uh, we would talk about prompting and planning and common faithfulness and unique assignment. So prompting is how do you hear from God uniquely and planning is planning. 
And so in other words, we always jokingly say you need to, you need to be like a small C Catholic and charismatic to get the prompting. And then you need to become Andy Stanley and build the sucker like you've never seen before. So, so let me, let me work that out a little bit more. Common faithfulness is assigned to every single church on earth. And it doesn't change. It doesn't matter if you're a mega church, a small church, Presbyterian, Anglican, Baptist, Pentecostal, independent. Common faithfulness is Acts 2, 42 through 47, Matthew 28. So you're always talking about teaching, community, communion, prayer, the presence of God, giving to the poor, large and small gatherings, evangelization, social justice. Like these are just the things. It doesn't matter if you're Nigerian. It doesn't matter if you're Taiwanese. It doesn't matter if you're Caucasian or you're in a mixed church. These things are transcultural, and these things are transgenerational. They're the blueprint of the church. That's what we label common faithfulness. And that's amazing, and that's good, and that's needed. But most pastors, when you really interview them, basically believe common faithfulness is the only assignment. And we started asking a different set of questions a few years ago, and it was like, okay, Beyond common faithfulness, is there a moment where God in his sovereignty might, and I want to say that word critically, might give a specific task or assignment to a local church? And if you just start reading through the scriptures and you're honest with the scriptures in a plain reading of scripture, you'll see this. Um, leaders are fully engaged with God. And God says, Moses, go here. Philip, go there. We were fasting and praying and Saul and Barnabas were sent out. So there's all of these sort of moments where God in his sovereignty speaks. But I need to say this again, if God chooses to speak. So the, the starting point of the conversation is common faithfulness is non-negotiable, always has to be worked out, always on the table and doesn't change. Then there has to be, well, I wonder if there is an assignment that is uniquely to a leader or to a congregation. And if so, and that's the big if, because God's not a genie. So if he speaks, then how do I hear him to make sure that I'm in tune uh, with him? And, and, and that starts to bring up sort of gifts and disciplines, which, which we'll get to in a, a minute. But if I can do one last thing, Jess, mm -hmm. let me use leadership language that some people like. This is where mission and vision get confused all the time. So, Mission is motherhood. <laughs> mission should be the same globally in the sense of uh, mission is Acts, Acts 2 and Matthew 28. Ours is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Like that is common faithfulness. Visions are for a season. They should have a beginning and an end. And they should be, if possible, God-given or, as we'll talk about, felt-based needs given. And they can change after a period of time. So this is critical. Mission never changes. Common faithfulness never changes. God sometimes speaks. And if he does speak, that's what you build your vision out of. Strategies can always change. And, and so can tactics. And, and you'll know this because we've talked about this. And I made this mistake early on in my career is I talked, I used the same intonation, the same language, the same passion about mission, vision, and strategies, which was a terrible mistake because in the end, people are like, I thought you said God told you this one, but then you changed that one. So are you a liar? Or do you really hear God? And it caused chaos. So that's the starting of the conversation right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, there, there's so much right there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to, before we got much further in, I know that one, there, there could be a group of people listening yep. who just already, they're feeling a little uncomfortable and, and so don't leave. 
Um, but a little uncomfortable, even just with the idea of hearing from God, yep. whether it's a theological thing or also it's, you know, they've seen it misused because of course this can very much be misused. Correct. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, totally understand that. Got saved in a fellowship Baptist church myself <laughs> and grew up very conservative. And my excuse always was it's going to be misused. But here's the problem with that. If we never, ever did anything that had been misused, we never do anything. So misuse is never an excuse not to obey. Fear absolutely never is an excuse to never obey. So the question we need to wrestle down is how do we biblically set the groundwork for a conversation about hearing? So then we can get to your original question, which is out of a post-COVID moment, how do I hear what I might be doing in my congregation next? So yeah. can I do a little theological rant here? Are you okay with that? Do it. Rant okay. Away. Yeah. So one of the big things that we've worked out for a long time is this. How do we root our, our theology of hearing in the Trinity and in Jesus? Because again, if Jesus doesn't model this, we should have questions. If Jesus does model this, we should have other questions. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take just a few minutes on a real high level for your listeners, and I'm going to walk through some real controversial stuff on purpose to set the groundwork for how you hear before you hear what you need to hear. We good so okay. far? Okay. Okay. I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't address something controversial, I'd be disappointed. <laughs> That's the, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's not controversial for controversial sake. I have no time for that. It actually matters to the mission and vision of the church. So yeah. the, the thing that I was always asking as a conservative was, how do I hear God right? How do I make sure it's not the devil, mental illness, the tacos from last night, or my own ambitions? Because some of your listeners yeah. are like, oh, this guy's making me nervous because I've heard people say God said, and it becomes spiritually yeah. abusive, right? So. Yeah. I'm just going to back us up and I'm going to walk this through and then we're going to get to post-COVID world, hopefully by the end. Okay. So uh, if you read the gospel of John carefully, there's two passages in there that really freak people out if they really believe what Jesus said. One of them is in John 5, 19. The other one's in John 14, 12. So John 5, 19, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what his father is doing and whatever, because whatever the father does, the son does also. Okay. And if you're a good Trinitarian, you're like, amen, but you need to sit with that for a second. Then there's this other crazy verse in John 14, 12, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And we always know when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, trouble's coming. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Actually, they'll do greater things than these because I'm going to the father. So Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see the father doing what God does, and only what dad does, I do. And then I asked the question, well, how did Jesus hear what, we, what he was called to do? And how did he see what God the Father was up to? And why in the world did he say that in the first place? Because I thought Jesus was God, and he was always with the Father. So why in the world is he even observing anything or hearing? And then Jesus turns around and says, and oh, by the way, not the apostles. Anyone who believes in me, will do the greater things that I've been doing. And I'm looking around the church going, either John lied, Jesus got it wrong, or something's off. <laughs> mm. Okay. So I, I started saying, I got to work this out because I'm a pretty, and you know this about me, I'm theological. I, I'm a Trinitarian. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand. So real quick for your listeners, you're going to probably have to listen to the podcast twice. 
Uh, if you flip over to Philippians 2, there's this amazing song that Paul puts into the scriptures. And it was a song sung in the early church. So I always jokingly say it's Gaithers or Bethel or Hillsong, whatever your flavor is, 65 AD, okay? And and it's all about Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, he's saying your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So it's an invitation to humility. But what he says in it is shocking. He says in verse 6, Philippians 2, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So as I've taught in this for years, when Paul, a pharisaical Jew, trained under Gamaliel, says that Jesus from Nazareth shares the essence of God, he's saying that Jesus is God because there's only one God. And if you have the DNA of God, you have to be God, which again is mind-blowing, what, less than 50 years after the resurrection, like mind-blowing. So he says, okay, Jesus is equal with the Father, and he's God. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't consider equality with God something he grasps. And you're like, I just thought you said he was equal. And now you're saying he's not equal. What, what the heck is going on? What the heaven is going on is the better way of saying it, right? <laughs> and, and this is what he's saying. Though Jesus is fully God, equal with the Father, he chose not to be selfish to hold on to the privilege and the power of of who he was. So just to make this clear, Jesus doesn't lose anything. Jesus doesn't empty himself. Jesus doesn't give up position or authority or power. In other words, I love how Eugene Peterson put this in the message. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. He had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. You're like, okay. So Jess and I are like, hey, we're good. This theologically makes sense. Some of you are like, what does this have to do with hearing God in COVID? I trust, trust me, by the end, this is going to connect. So then you say, well, how did he do that thing? In verse seven, right? He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbles himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Christmas takes place, perfect life, amazing miracles, perfect death. All the amazing things. And then, of course, verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And just and I say, amen. We amen. believe in that. Amen. All right. So here's yeah. the question I asked. Between Christmas and Easter, how did he do that thing? Because Philippians 2 only tells us heaven's view from upstairs. And then when Jesus is downstairs, he says, well, I only do what my father tells me to do while I'm down here. And you all can do the same thing and actually bigger things. And I'm like, okay. So when you pair Philippians 2 with the Gospels, everything gets clear. And this is the funnel to hear right. So Jesus gets baptized in Luke 3.21. And for the real Baptist listening today, you turn into your ESV Bibles to Philippians 3.21. All right. You all got it there. Right. It says, and all the people were being baptized, and Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And again, the Holy Spirit's given to Jesus to affirm his ministry and identity, but, but, the Holy Spirit also is given to empower Jesus. Think about it. Up to this point, Jesus has not healed anyone, hasn't taught anyone, hasn't cast out demons. He's introduced no teaching. The only time of note is he's 12 years old and he runs away from mom and dad. So that's bad. He hangs out in the temple and they're blown away that he knows so much about the Bible, but nothing yeah. else. Okay. 
So I'm still confused, and maybe you are too. Because why in the world is the third person of the Trinity given to the second person of the Trinity by the first person of the Trinity? What's that about? And other weird things like, why didn't Jesus know when he was coming back? Like, I thought he was God. So he should know when he's returning, but he doesn't know. And then it says in the Gospels, and he grew in stature and knowledge. I'm like, I thought you were all knowing. You're, You're God. So Jesus is given the Spirit, and then it's Luke 4, 1. Here, here now we're finally getting here. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And in the Mark account, it actually reads, he was pushed by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And I'm even more confused now. Why is the Holy Spirit pushing Jesus around? Like, what's going on? Verse 14, he came back in the power of the Spirit. Okay, so here's the question. How did Jesus hear the Father? And how did Jesus do all the amazing God stuff? And yet it seems chose not to use the advantage of him being God and he's given the spirit. Like how? Because here's the secret into this whole conversation. And Jess, you and I have talked about this many times. Mm -hmm. Most people in church want to be like Jesus, but no, they can never be like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God. God. Right. So actually, this whole Christian mm-hmm. thing is really an illusion, right? Like, yeah. you know, he says you can be like me. It's impossible. Like, well, it's impossible. Unless Jesus, while he was on earth, didn't do ministry out of his divinity, out of his godness, even though he remained God. Let me say that again. Right. Unless between Christmas and Easter, Jesus didn't use his godness once. In other words, he never stopped being the second person of the Trinity, was always empowered, had all the glory and majesty, but chose to be not just our Savior and Lord, but our model. So Jesus was given the Spirit to do all the amazing things. And here's the connection. Jesus had spiritual gifts. Jesus had the gift of miracles. He he never healed once out of his divinity. He healed because he had the Spirit of God. And Paul would later call that the gift of healing. Jesus had the gift of miracles to cast out demons. Jesus had the gift of teaching at the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, every amazing thing you see in the Gospels, Jesus did only God the Father's will (laughs) by the power of the Spirit and never used his divinity once. So, of course, we can be like Jesus because Paul says we have the same spirit and same gifts he used. If that's not true, you can never be like him and he lied. Here's the other amazing thing. Then, okay, if Jesus wasn't turning on the God tap, even though it was there, and and he wasn't accessing omnipresence and omniscience, all-knowingness, how did he even hear what his dad was up to? And the answer is spiritual disciplines. See, Jesus always leaves at the wrong time. Jess, you and I have talked about this, right? It's revival. Thousands of people are everywhere. This is so incredible. It's like, I'm leaving now. And you're like, where are you going? And lots of people are like, oh, actually, he's tired. And we need to acknowledge Jesus' humanness. And he needs Sabbath. Yes. But it's funny. Every time he's alone, he's praying. So here's the point. Jesus used spiritual gifts to serve the Father. And Jesus used spiritual disciplines to listen to the Father, to model what a normal Christian life looks like. Well, that's acknowledging his humanness then. And still retaining his divinity. So here's the story I always tell. It's like this. We know the story of Zacchaeus. So Jesus is alone with the father. Where do you want me to go? Jericho. 
Why do you want to go to Jericho? There's a man. He's a wee little man. <laughs> a wee little man is he? Really? How wee? That way. Okay. And I'm going to find him what? In a sycamore tree. Really? A sycamore. And why do you want me to go? Because there's going to be thousands of people. Oh, you want me to go to his house today? Why do you want me to? Oh, because you've called him to salvation. Okay. I'm on my way. See, this now drives right down to your original question. <laughs> <laughs> because spiritual practices are the guaranteed place of encounter when walking with God to be transformed and to hear. Spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power because natural gifts and acquired gifts don't need the Holy Spirit to actually do the things Jesus did. So here's the point. You go, okay, we're coming out of this COVID world. We're all trying to understand what to do. The first thing I would ask every leader is this. Have you based your whole worldview on the modeling of Jesus, which is permission-based? What do you mean by permission-based? Jesus did nothing except what the Father told him Mm. to do. So Jesus submitted and looked for permission for the assignment. Mm. So Jesus always had to be holy. (laughs) Jesus always had to love God and love neighbor. That's common faithfulness. But is God asking you to go to Zacchaeus' house? So here's how this works out. If you need to ask, we all do. As we're coming out of a post-pandemic world, and we're all wondering what's going to happen, because again, no one knows who's coming back to church. This has been the largest church shopping moment in a year and a half. Everyone's gone to someone else. Everyone's chosen everyone else's Netflix account to see how that church is. Yeah. Uh, We've got the whole division about race and vax versus non-vax. We've got all this division going on. We want to return to in-person gathering because there's lots of biblical rooted for that. And yet, you know, my bias, I know it's yours too. The online thing's not going away and we need to embrace it. Mm-hmm. But, but all that aside, if a leader has not sat down and said to the living God, what do you assign me? We're already in trouble. Mm-hmm. Now he might not answer. And if he doesn't answer, no problem, everyone, here's your answer common faithfulness and felt needs. You can, you can look at your neighborhood or area and go, what are the felt needs we need to respond to and build a genuine, not mission, vision out of that. No problem. And it's biblically rooted. I mean, Saddleback is the historic sort of 1980s version of let's look at the felt needs of people and reach to Mm -hmm. them. But Every leader should be going like Jesus, the father and saying, is there anything specifically you would like us to do? And then people say, well, John, how do you do that? And I go, oh, right. Fasting, prayer, solitude, and silence. And also, if Jesus used spiritual gifts at the epicenter of his ministry, then you also better be talking to people that have discernment, words of knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. So in other words, to put it that funny, because I know we're speaking to an overly Baptist audience, even though a West Coast style Baptist, I know you're a little different out there, but at, at the heart of it, you better have the small C contemplative people, the Dallas Willard people sitting with the John Wimber charismatic people in your church and the planning people all praying together to see if the Holy Spirit speaks. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, right? It says they were fasting and praying and the spirit of God said, sent out Barnabas and Saul. The two best leaders, by the way, they fasted and prayed. And the best answer in the, I think it's Acts 16. I think I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, my my will is actually the best two preachers are leaving. 
Right. <laughs> right. I know I actually read something the other day that, that said the times when you most need revelation from God is when he's asking you to do something that wisdom would tell you is maybe not the best thing to do. Like right. sending out your two best leaders. Right. Like yeah. what? So, but I think what I'm trying to point out is that you see in Antioch, for example, in that situation, there was an affirmation of all the gifts. There was an affirmation of disciplines. And there was an affirmation of that working together to go before the Lord to see if he would speak. So all I'm saying is, is we're going to a post-pandemic world. And here's the amazing thing. God knows what's coming next. Right. We don't. We don't, but he does. He actually yeah. knows what the world's going to be like in 2023 and 2025. He knows what the state of the Canadian church is going to be. He he knows what your congregation is going to look like. What I'm begging everyone to do is before we look at all the reopening surveys, which by the way, we've done and looking at the Canadian government stats and the global stats and all I'm asking leaders to sit and go, okay, are you saying anything else to us beyond or in this that might in a post-pandemic world give our God-given, not mission, because that's going to all the world and acts to, but vision to do this run. And remember, most leaders forget this. Visions have shelf lives. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it can be for five years. It can be for two years. It can be for eight years, but it has a beginning and an end. So in this season, you know, not Kronos, but Kairos, in this God-ordained moment, you want to say anything. Yeah. And I don't think most leaders are still in environments where gifts and disciplines and strategy are put in a room to pray together. Yeah, I know you. Uh, one of the things you said, uh, I think it was in a breakout session in Impact um, that stuck with me because I was, as there was how how often instead of asking ahead of time, do you have something for us, God? We just make our own plans, and then prayer, praying about it, just means asking God to bless the plans we already made. Right. And and again, it's not saying the planning is wrong. It's not saying the planning is ungodly. It's not saying it's not felt need-based. It's not saying it's not root, rooted deeply mm-hmm. in orthodox theology. My question is, have you even just asked? Right. Because here's the crazy thing, not crazy thing. The Lord might tell you to do something, and it's the exact thing that your neighborhood or city or church is going to need to do to reach more people in that very moment. Mm-hmm. But if you hadn't asked, you would have just launched the new thing or the thing the church down the street is trying to do or just tried surviving. And we need more, you know, you and I talk about this all the time, Jess, we don't need churches that are surviving anymore in this, in this moment. Mm -mm. We we need thriving churches, but thriving churches can only thrive if they know God's got their back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, you've kind of, kind of talked about this now and I, I, because one of the big questions that I think comes up, is there are there are a lot of people i'm sure a lot of people listening now who would say yes to all of this like the the longing to know what god is doing and and to stay close and ask and they are asking all the time and i know you said sometimes you don't hear anything and you're called to common faithfulness yep but you know there's so many questions that come up that maybe they say but i've never heard anything so is that am i not waiting long enough um yeah you know, <laughs> am right? I like, spiritual is enough? God yeah, actually yeah. just saying common faithfulness or am I missing something or did he speak and I didn't like it? So I thought, it, you know, I wrote it off, you know, how, like, how does it practically work? I know, I know that you have gifts and you have experiences that, you know, I certainly don't have. Um, but a lot of pastors don't have that. 
Yeah. So this is so why how do you again, build yeah. the community yeah. and what you need. Well, I think, yeah, I think the first thing is you have to make sure that what I just said is real for you. Like if you actually believe Jesus led his whole ministry out of disciplines and gifts, and it's not the center of your whole ministry, you're already in the wrong place. Right. Like you'll never legitimize it because a program will be more believe important. It. Yeah. Do you actually believe it? That's question one. Yeah. Number two, uh, and I know this doesn't sound like a terrible Christian bumper sticker, but it's not meant to be. Have you actually prayed and asked God to bring the people in your church into your life that have the gifts and disciplines to do the thing? Because what I find absolutely fascinating is in large and small churches, when a pastor humbles themselves enough to ask hmm. and literally asks, suddenly the people show up. And they're like, you know, it's really weird. I've never talked to you about this before, but I, I keep having this dream about the church. You're like, I usually, you know, dream. Oh, I usually write you off. And another person yeah. comes and says, you know, I've been fasting a lot. It, all I'm saying is, you know, it's got to be done in community. That's why you got to affirm and understand certain gifts and affirm some practices. Because lots and lots of people, um, the primary way they're going to hear God, well, it's the primary way for all of us, is God's word. I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no doubt. The scriptures are the ultimate source for faith, life, and practice. No argument from anyone who loves Jesus and loves scripture. And of course, I can be discerning through scripture in many ways, but that doesn't necessarily situationally always speak to me in the moment. <laughs> so the question is again, are you using disciplines and gifts? And are, do you have a trusted group of people, whether they're formal leaders or not, to sit before the Lord and just do this? And here's the thing I'll tell you. Every conversation I've ever had with a church leader at this moment where we are in the conversation, and I ask them to go before the Lord and say, I really want to hear, would you, and, and, and here's the thing, and I will put no conditions on who you bring to me. None? No, no because, because, because again, you know, the more educated you are, the more powerful you are, you might write off the very person God wants to use. Yep. Right. So it's just building this community, praying together and see what the Lord does. Now, that's not saying the right when you get the inception point of doing the something, well, then then it's over. Thank you, Lord. Now you need yeah. to build a Gantt chart and have HR involved in the strategic plan. And what are right. the next five? Like, it's not what we're trying to teach is it's not antithetical. It's not uh, the mystical stuff over here and the strategy stuff over here. It's mm -hmm. the thing. And it's not and, just a fancy way of procrastinating. Oh, not doing anything. Absolutely not. Because if the Lord doesn't speak and you genuinely have sought him out, then you literally get back to common faithfulness and build a good plan period. And, and praise the Lord and don't look back. Because God will honor you. You know, what does the scriptures teach? We preach this all the time. If you seek God, what? He'll be found. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and we're, we're we are in Jesus. We are possessed by the spirit. We have access to God, the father uh, in an unfettered way. God will honor you if you ask. And yes, you might have sin in your life. Or yes, you might not know the voice of God in a very charismatic, contemplative way. But if you sit in community, the Lord will speak. He will speak. And yes, you might even misuse it. And the community helps to guard against that as well. Well, ex well, exactly. It's like in our, in our case, you know, and mm -hmm. you were part of this journey here, right? Our, mm -hmm. our, our God-given vision is to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. Now, 
if you just heard that, you're like, oh, see, classic A-type leader. He wants 10,000 people. I don't know. He went to Andy Stanley or Willow Land or Stephen Furtick or fill in whatever mega church you don't like. And he just wants a big church. And he's in Toronto. And Toronto thinks they run the world. Yeah. <laughs> all goes down the field, right? Which, by the way, we do run the world for all of you in Vancouver. Um, you know what? <laughs> you can have your mountains. No, no. But <laughs> uh, no, here's, here's the point. That came out of multiple promptings I did not want. And it was a, it was tested over three years by two elders boards and groups of staff to make sure that it wasn't ambition, that it was given. Because I don't know another leader in the country to this day that has a number in their vision statement. I just don't know yeah, one. I, I think there are a couple, but it's it's very rare. And I remember go, when you went through that process. Yeah. And there were questions. Oh, uh, that's yeah. Being Canadian, yeah, there are questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but here's the amazing thing: when that was established from the Lord, uh, not as scripture, but as the God-given task, what's been so unbelievably freeing is all of our planning now leads to that one thing. We say yes and no to ministries based on that one thing. We actually can say mm-hmm. to our congregation, we're at three and a half thousand, we're preparing for six thousand. Here's the next five steps we're going to take because the average person can't think of ten thousand. They can't think about a thousand. So it actually, the vision gave us the endpoint, gave us the empowerment, gave us the ability, here it is, to say many, many more no's than yeses, hmm. which allows you to stay stay on, you know, mission and vision. Yeah. And, you know, we're in a time right now when you know, a lot of churches may have their visions, but um, there, there's a good chance that a lot will have to change because of the season that we're in. And if, if God is leading to something new and that's, that's a scary thing, even yeah. in itself. Well, let me, let also me do exciting. It, yeah. Let me do it in a different direction. Uh, certain churches will have to change a hundred percent. Certain churches won't Cer- certain churches will prep for this. Um, certain churches. Uh, here's the wild thing. God knows exactly who's in the neighborhood and who's in the city. So some leaders may, might literally sit before the Lord and, and he says, get back to normal as you defined it and literally might be okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And other people, you know, are going to sit before the Lord and the whole sucker is changing. My, my pleading with, with leaders at this moment is to do this. I don't know a Christian leader who doesn't love God. We all just struggle trusting him. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, you could say that again. Yeah. yeah. And, and so my plea is for us to trust him and trust implies letting him speak. Hmm. And then here's the, here's doing the reverse thing. Some people might be like, we're all in, we're going to change the world. We're going virtual. And the Lord might say to them, no, none of that. Hmm. And they're going to be like, what? But Carrie Newhoff told me. And by the way, Carrie's a great friend of mine and thank God for Carrie because he's been preparing a lot of things we weren't comfortable with. But it's not all that either. So again, this is not about modality. This is not about how virtual we get, how physical do we get, though all important. I'm asking a deeper eternal question before we deal with the pragmatic on the ground stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, that's good. So then when it comes to, you know, kind of moving into from you, you've, you've taken the time and you've asked God what he wants to do. And I, you know, it's common faithfulness or there's a specific uh, assignment, something that he's calling you to. 
how do you then move into leading your team lead, or even leading your church when they may not have heard anything? They're only hearing it through you. Yeah. Um, and right now, I mean, if, if God is actually doing something new, there is a good chance that a lot of change is going to be involved. And though you say change is not evil, that is not necessarily the belief of many people in churches. So, Well, it's not the belief of many people called human beings. Yeah, that is, yeah, yeah. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We freak out a little bit. Yeah, 100%. Well, here, here's, here's the first thing you need to make sure that you do. Uh, again, if the Lord speaks, uh, and, and however you work it out, board, staff, the, the, the spiritual leadership of the church need to know the process so they know what's happened. Because they need to become the evangelists for it, and they need to guard it. Mm-hmm. Then you need to attitudinally go very humbly before your church and say, listen, at, coming out of COVID, we realized everything was changing, and we're all scared. And we're all angry and we're all sad and we're all languishing. We're all happy. So we did this process and let me tell you what we did and literally outline what we did. And to our shock, we heard something Hmm. and let me tell you what it is. Here's what it is. And then, you know, the thing I learned through many mistakes years ago, and your husband was on staff when these mistakes were made is remember vision is the preferred God-given future. That's one of the best definitions. I don't know who said it. Hmm. I heard years ago, it's the preferred God-given future. So you always point to the end. So it's like, and God does this all the time. Like Noah, the ark looks like this. Abraham, just so you know, you won't be able to count your your ancestors and it's in this land. He does this again and again. He's like, that's the end picture. And then he goes quiet which is really intriguing, mm-hmm. by the way, which forces us back to this listening posture. But the encouragement is, then just tell your church, we're going to take these first three steps, not 10 steps, not 40 steps. We're, you're, you know how the scripture is a light to my path. And like it's, it, you can just see there. Yeah. But God, when he inspired the scriptures, knew our, I think it's 98% of um, human beings cannot strategically think. I think it's like huh. 95, 98%. I heard that somewhere. I think. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. They just, they, they, they literally can't do that thing. Hmm. So once you talk about the process and how it happened, just say, Hey, so everyone that's the end. And you're all oxygen masks are now coming down and everyone's freaking out, looking for the exits. Just say, hold on. Ushers lock the doors. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> no. um, or lock the virtual doors. No, you know what you need to do? Then you just need to say, look, Here's the first three things we're all going to do together towards that thing. And, and give a little bit of certainty even. Yep. Because yeah. if, if they can see a few steps, but in this, in this COVID moment, what almost everyone's going to do is they're going to look for statisticians. They're going to look for how they do the hybrid thing. Well, which by the way, like we're literally our online thing became our fifth site. We're hiring an online site pastor at this very moment. We digitized alpha freedom session, young adult youth. Like we, we did all of that. None of it's going away. Uh, we're reopening sites starting this weekend uh, to well, two that we can two others in high school. So that's a whole nother problem. Yep. Um, yeah, but we have that problem here. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then you know we did we did the survey. Fifty percent of our people are not coming back till they're doubly vaccinated. Other people are not going to come back till there's live preaching. Other people won't come back until there's children's ministry. Like we're we're living everything everyone else is living. But here's the difference. 
that I would say we, we've had a hellish year and a half staff mm-hmm. issues. We had to let people go like everything, every church we've been through too, but here's the one distinguishing factor factor. I'll tell you, uh, we never lost focus on our vision or mission because we had it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of churches crumbled during COVID because they, they did not actually know what the Lord had asked them to do. Right. And so for us, we kept asking in the middle of the nightmare of COVID, how are we still going to get to 10,000? You still had the direction. We still had the direction. And so what happened, even during the all sorts of painful moments, is it allowed us to go, oh my goodness, that is a door opening to this that we never saw. So here's a great example. House sites. We're going to launch house sites for four reasons. House sites are places where you actually go to church on Sunday or in a celebrate big category, not a connect group. Okay. We've talked about that probably like micro church kind of Yeah. We call sites in a different, for a reason internally. Uh, It will be a place where people can go in the transition uh, from Mm. small to large. It will be a place where people can start gathering in the six new locations we announced two years ago. So it actually starts to build communities in the six new sites we'll be launching. It allows us to establish communities beyond the 10 geographical sites the Lord has given us. It also uh, allows site five, which is our virtual site, to feed those. Like all of that came out of the pandemic, but what we were asking the whole time is how does this lead to 10,000 and how do we do this physically and emotionally and spiritually in Jesus' name? Mm. So that, that just shows you. Yeah. The strategy shifts, changes according to correct what is blowing up in the world at the moment. Correct. But the direction, like the compass that you're following. Correct. Is, you know, is established. Go. And and the common faithfulness thing never changes. And in our case, and just to bring this home on the weird side, Jess, because I'm sure you're <laughs> going to do that at least once. Just before, <laughs> just before the pandemic, we were praying because... Um, we needed to ask the Lord where we, we were at three physical sites mm-hmm. and we were like, where do we want to go? And we really wanted to go to downtown Toronto because we had lots of people driving from downtown Toronto. And we were like, this makes the most strategic sense. I remember yeah. being in the meeting and there was a guy who was on staff here named Dave. He was the co-lead pastor and then a, another person on staff. And we went before the Lord just to check in to say, Hey, listen, Toronto makes all the strategy sense, you know? So, you know, should we, and I'll never forget what happened. I'll never forget. I was sitting there with two other pastors. We're praying. First thing that comes into my mind is Og and Shion. And I'm like, okay, that's definitely the butter chicken from last night. I didn't even, I, I, I've heard those two names before. I'm like getting you version out, trying to Google it during this prayer time. Og and Shion, which by the way, are the Amorite Kings on the East side of the Jordan that Moses destroys before they go into the promised land. Okay. So okay. Og and Shion. This is what I'm given. Og and Shion. The guy oh, sitting beside, downtown Toronto. Downtown yeah. Toronto. Yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah. so then the guy sitting beside me has, suddenly has this picture in his mind of a large river and a red line going through it. And the woman sitting beside me hears, don't go yet. Not yet. Not yet. So that's the three things we're given in this hmm. now. And you're not talking to each other. No, we're not talking to each other. This time. Complete silence. Yeah. So I open you version. Uh, to Og and Cheyenne and realize that they're the Amorite kings, Amorite kings, I think they're Amorites, uh, on the east side of the Jordan. And 
And then there, of course, there's the Jordan River and then the Promised Land. And God yeah. says to Moses, you destroy them. And, and actually, some of the people are going to be established here. The guy sitting beside me, who has the picture of the river with the red line through it, right? Like, don't cross the river. He said, like, right. he literally says, don't cross the river. Now, what you don't know, your audience wouldn't know, is that we were praying about downtown Toronto, but we also knew another site would be Pickering, which is very close to us. But between mm-hmm. Toronto and Pickering, there was an actual river and a valley. So yeah. he saw a Google map of this river with a red line. And then the other person praying said, don't go into Toronto yet. And we were like, oh my goodness, we're supposed to stay on this side of the river and deal with it spiritually going on here. And we can't cross the river yet. And we get to go later. And we knew instantaneously the Lord had forbidden us to go into Toronto. We were supposed to launch mm-hmm. Pickering. And there was some spiritual stuff we needed to overcome before we went in. So we planted our fourth site in Pickering. And then guess what happened? COVID happened. So we were able to establish one of our strongest sites. It was close enough to Ajax not to be totally destroyed. And if we'd gone into Toronto, I think probably it would have been destroyed through COVID. Yeah. Prompting. And then we built the mega how we launching Pickering plan. Right. There's There's a great, weird, pragmatic example of what I'm talking about. Going back to this, I, this kind of feeling that God is doing something new, even across Canada. Yeah. I, I know that you talk to a lot of pastors across Canada and, and elsewhere as well. Do you have any idea or have you had any sense of what's going on? Yeah. So what God might be leading us to. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have the great privilege of talking to a lot of leaders in a lot of parts of the family. So mm-hmm. Um, I hang out with a lot different of, denominations. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. As I was jokingly, I always say the whole dysfunctional family. I can <laughs> Here's uh, what I'll say pre pandemic. What I was struck by when I'd hang out with like real hardcore John Piper reform kids and then hang out with like the Pentecostal assemblies of Canada the following week, then hang out with some uh, evangelical Anglicans the following week. What I kept finding was everyone was praying the same thing that, that to me was was striking and intriguing. You know how it says, what is this mm-hmm. saying to the churches? And yeah. uh, you have to do some translation work theologically to find it. Um, but basically what I found that was happening between 2014, 2012 to pre-pandemic was there was this growing desperation from the church, realizing that we'd put all of our eggs in HR and the right leader and strategy, all that stuff, and it didn't work. And there was this growing sense of, Lord, unless you show up, we're done. Um, There was also a growing sense that everywhere I went, and it it didn't, it wasn't pie in the sky, I hope, it wasn't optimism, it was hope. Okay. There's a difference. Yeah. Optimism is, I hope this happens, hope is grounded. And there was a sense that when I was talking to leaders, in, literally in Vancouver, some of your friends and people who you don't know, people in Montreal, people in Calgary, Edmonton, in the States, in the UK, in the Western church, there was like, oh my goodness, there's there's a great undoing of, you know, Christendom, nominal Christianity is collapsing very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, all actually good things in the long run for us. Uh, yep. There was this desperate, desperate growing prayer, and there was this growing sense that the Lord um, and I will not say will, might be about to do something that is by definition truly revival. Hmm. And again, um, 
we have never experienced a national revival. Uh, we've we've experienced historic moves of God. And remember, revivals are never guaranteed. They're sovereignly started and ended. Um, that goes again to common faithfulness versus sovereignty. But everywhere I went, there was this growing, things are bad, and oh my goodness, I have hope, and I don't know why, but I think he's about to do something. There's right. the summary. Um, uh, in my own case, I was given this image of wildfires. I'll just explain one in Toronto. I'm never given stuff over cities ever. And I was given this image years ago of wildfires and just imagine a bunch of small little wildfires and Toronto's so big, right? It's six and a half million people, 300 heart languages. It's still the most multicultural city on earth. So people are like, why can't Christians in Toronto all love each other and get together? I said, because there's so many of us, we don't even know each other. It's like, yeah, like it's, we don't even know. And the image I had in my head was all these little wildfires across the, across all of Toronto and they were already burning. And the other wild little wild grass fire didn't know the other fire was even happening. And I remember getting this image. And then I was asked by the Pentecostal assemblies of Canada to preach on the Holy spirit and revival, which I thought was hilarious. They were inviting me to go do that talk. And I ended up in a Sri Lankan multi-site church, 30 minutes from where I'm speaking from you now in a warehouse. Mm -hmm. They have 10 locations. I didn't even know they existed. I didn't even know all these Hindus and Muslims were becoming Christians. And, yeah. and you'll know the reference. It's right behind Scarborough Town Center is their main site. Okay. Okay. I didn't even know they were not there. far from you. No. And when I was listening to them, I was like, oh my goodness, God is doing this whole thing in this community. It's 30 minutes from me. I didn't even know they existed 40 minutes ago. So that's pre-COVID. I think COVID has hollowed out all sorts of things. Nominal Christianity, consumeristic Christianity is, is done. Uh, you've known my bias for years. My, my suspicion is middle, middle-sized churches are going to die. Really small okay. churches and really large churches are going to flourish. Um, it basically, to use a crass commercial way, the mom and pop shop, that's a really specialized hipster thing. <laughs> and the mega Walmart, those two things are going to do real well in church. Mm. And the middle is not going to do so well. But beyond all of that, which is more statistical and on the ground, yeah, I still have this growing sense that a sovereign move is about to begin. And, you know, I was sitting with the Lord the other day and I was just saying to him again, like, you know, if you don't move, we're done, right? Like, yeah, which has actually always been true. A hundred percent. But but we've but, we, but we've moved from the center of society to the margins of society, right? We no longer yeah. have power and control. We don't have the numbers. The Americans still have enough numbers to do whatever that mm -hmm. thing is. We we just don't have them. We um, do not. Uh, so as I keep praying and as I keep listening and as I keep interacting with many 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 other people, I, I still have this overarching sovereign sense that God is going to act in our country in a very mm -hmm. profound way. I just think that where we're, many of us are going to end up is actually completely unexpected. That's, that's my suspicion. I think the assignments that God is going to give that are going to, so the Ezekiel image of being in the graveyard, which of course is salvific in mm -hmm. sense, but, and it says there's fully formed bodies. And then of course, Ezekiel has to speak. And when he speaks, they come to life. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are going to end up in graveyards uh, and suddenly life is going to come back in the middle of graveyards. I think a lot of people are going to be like, Timothy, 
where we're going to be living in context where some of the elders end up being wolves and the greatest work of God is going to be done. I think a lot of us are going to be like Elijah in 1 Kings 18, where the people fold their hands and Baal and Asherah are in the church alongside Elijah. And the spirit of God is going to show up and a new thing is going to take place. But what I'm saying is I think lots of us are going to be assigned into what we would historically say are compromised situations or dead situations. And that's where God's going to do some of the most significant work. Hmm. That might be a whole other podcast. We'll have you back. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, may it be so. And this is why coming back to this whole conversation, ask God what he wants you to do. Just ask, ask the question, ask the question. And, and common faithfulness is amazing. And God always blesses common faithfulness mm-hmm. in this life and the life to come uh, even more. But if he gives a unique assignment and that's what I'm driving at, I think mm-hmm. more and more leaders in desperation might be brought to their needs to ask. And when the asking begins, the assignments might get clear. And if the, if the assignments are clear, then we're going to end up in the right Jericho at the right time to do the right thing. Yeah. And that's not, it's not the magic because that's not our side. It's the secret Mm -hmm. sauce though of, um, of actually seeing a real difference. So, yeah, I, I just want to maybe end by saying this to every leader who's listening, you're not alone. You're not crazy. Uh, If you're sad or tired, so are the rest of us. Um, Don't look at bigger churches and think everything's better. It's just more grass. Don't, don't, don't believe it. Uh, And and have the courage to ask and keep going. Mm. Just have the courage. And it yeah. just, yeah, keep going. Perseverance is the thing. It's the tur- What is it? The old thing, the turtle and the hair. Oh, the, tur- yeah, <laughs> the, the tortoise and the hair. The yeah. tortoise and the hair. Yeah. We, we're gonna, Slow and steady wins the race. We're going to need some um, God-inspired, spirit-filled tortoises for the next yeah. 20 years in Canada to win this thing. Amen. Oh, wow. Well, hey, um, before we wrap up, I have uh, one more personal question for you. Sure, please. I'd love to ask. Um, and that's just as another leader in the church in Canada, what is it that is giving you hope right now and keeping you persevering day after day? And and along that line, um, how can we be praying for you? Yeah, thank you uh, very much. I deeply appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, what personally gave me hope uh, was that um, uh, I've talked about this in another way. Uh, actually, uh, um, you'll know this because Jason Ballard's a common friend of ours. I'm actually on mm-hmm. their podcast on this topic. Okay. Uh, that, that I'm speaking about right now. Um, the thing that kept me going was my calling was secure as a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that kept me going, which is a whole nother conversation, but mm-hmm. um, which I'm really thankful for. Why I'm hopeful uh, is because I think um, well, uh, it's actually the, the image you were given uh, that I don't know if you've shared publicly about maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, have you shared it on this maple podcast? Syrup. Have you shared I, you it? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not I, the, I, I talk about it in the office so my, the other staff will be laughing right now. Yeah. It, no, but it, it's the, it's the idea that, you know, when you, you talked about taking sap out of a tree and then mm-hmm. as it sits, it when the heat turns up, right. And it gets, yep. makes it so, I really think that's happening in the church. I, I was never given that image, but it's a it's a helpful thing. And I think mm-hmm. why I'm really hopeful also, and this is not a political statement, by the way, 
uh, at all is I'm so thankful that the nations have been allowed into our country because mm. I actually think God is going to reseed the church in Western Europe, especially, but also in Canada uh, through uh, the immigrant crisis. And uh, I think there are so many of our brothers and sisters who are coming that are going to revitalize our churches, work alongside of us, and then lead us, <laughs> mm. uh, which is going to be great. And in the middle of that, it's going to position the church in Canada to go global again, but in a very, very non-colonial, multicultural way. There's something afoot that I can't see yet, but I know mm. it's here. And yeah, so I'm hopeful about that. And prayer, well, honestly, um, you've heard me say this before. You know, I my anyone honestly who's going to pray for me, First uh, Corinthians 13. Uh, I just know how unloving I am. And, mm-hmm. and the thing that matters the most uh, is love, biblical, biblically defined love. And I'm just, I'm just still not loving enough. And uh, biblical love allows you to hold electricity well. Uh, so, right, <laughs> gifts, yep. calling, authority, all that stuff. And so I would pray for that. And you just pray, you know, if you're praying for our church today. <laughs> When you pray for your church, pray for our church. Like we got to reopen, we got to rehire. Oh, what a mess. And how exciting. (laughs) An exciting mess. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, this has been awesome. Anything else that you wanted to say before we go? No, I just can't wait to hang out with all you Christians on the West Coast soon enough. We're going to get you out here to Vancouver soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Hopefully soon. Let's keep this restart plan going. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. Yeah, thanks, Janice. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I know we covered a lot in a short period of time in this conversation, but if you're interested in learning more, John goes deeper into a lot of what we talked about in his book, Convergence. We'll have a link to that as well as to his new book, Deliverance, in our show notes. And as always, our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here to serve you. For a full list of the resources we have available and to get in contact with any of us, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.